Hello and welcome, Friartown. Today is February 2nd, and we are going to be joined by the creator and founder of PCBB 1917, Mike Hopkins. I am Billy Ritchie, and this is the Friar Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode nine of the Friar Podcast. I am, of course, your host, Billy Ritchie, and today I'm joined by a media savant in the Friar basketball world. He is the creator and the founder of PCBB 1917, as well as the creator and founder of the Friar Provcast. Mike Hopkins, welcome to the Friar Podcast. Thanks, Billy. Thanks for having me. This is great. Absolutely. And Mike, it is tradition that on every show we start off with the same question. What is Mike Hopkins' favorite Providence restaurant? Tough call, I have to say. I'm a big fan of some of the places on Federal Hill. I like Hammondways a lot. I don't know. I feel like Capitol Grill might just be the answer, although I know they're not in their original location anymore. But I think Capitol Grill, I, they have them now around uh, in the New York metro area, and I enjoy them here as well. So I'm going to say Capitol Grill just to do something different, because I'm sure everyone says something on Federal Hill. Although Camille's, Camille's is legit. Great, great calls all around. I mean, Capital Grill, actually, John Rook brought that up on episode one to kick us off. So you are not alone there. And Camille's may be the best value of any restaurant in Providence. What do we think? And the ambiance, too. I mean, the veal parm is ridiculous, but the waiters kind of being a little rude to you. You got the white table, the dark room. I think that's that's probably the pound for pound the best restaurant on the hill. Love it. So Camille's, if you're listening... We're looking for a sponsor, so you, you 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 might you might be our choice to reach out to. Now, Mike, getting things kicked off here, let's talk about your background. It's one thing to root for this team, and it's a completely other thing of an emotional roller coaster to cover this team. Your PC class of 2010. I was actually just getting to PC when you were leaving PC, so sorry that we uh, we missed paths there. But in terms of how you got started, tell us about your journey covering the team. So I started really following Providence basketball during towards the end of the Gomes era, I would say. Uh, my cousin was a class of 2007. So when he was there, that was kind of when Gomes was really in his junior and senior year taking his next steps. And the team was making that run to the dance tournament where they, I think that was the year they lost to Pacific, unfortunately. Um, but that was probably the first time I really followed the team where I watched most of the games, I would say. So uh, I really probably have been... I probably joined like the scout message board probably like 2005-ish, I want to say. So probably started following the team around then. And then when I got to school in 2006, you know, love basketball, Midnight Madness, all that stuff. Went to a lot of the games freshman year. Uh, not as many probably over the next three years as I would have liked to probably. I started working at Louis pretty regularly and uh, that took up a lot of my weekend uh, nights. Uh, I actually worked there the night that uh, they beat the number one pit, which was a lot of fun. It was like a Tuesday night. And that was a fun uh, night to be working at Lewis that night. But I basically sort of just kind of followed the team as a student, had some classes with some of the guys on the team, some funny stories I probably can't say in public around that. But I, I, I've always sort of loved basketball. I played basketball in high school. And it was it was really fun to as Providence being sort of a basketball school. It's sort of fun that that was the main sport. You know, I had some friends on other like on the lacrosse team. Kid I went to high school with was on the lacrosse team, and I'd go to some of those games. And but there's just something different about being at the dunk. It just has the energy. So it really just drew me in. But then they were pretty bad. 
<laughs> with Kino. So towards the end of college, I just wasn't as into it probably as um, certainly I am now, um, interestingly. So I really didn't start covering the team in any meaningful way until I started my site. Um, I was on Twitter a lot and I would text with some people here and there about games. But for the most part, I really, it's kind of interesting. Like I know like Kevin probably, you know, being a little bit ahead of me in the, in the blog world and writing, he probably, uh, you know, he was a fan growing up like you and, and I really didn't have that. And even as a student, I wasn't as big of a fan as I am now um, in terms of following the team and being, I, I rarely miss a few minutes unless, you know, like tonight we got bedtime at seven. So I got to get that done and get down for hopefully before seven thirty. But it's, uh, it's sort of interesting that I, I really wasn't, you know, as much of a, a, an avid follower. I was on the message boards, which at that time were, it was a different world than it is now. And being 18 to 22 at that time was a little bit, uh, a little bit different than, than, uh, in terms of my, my, uh, level of caring and anger. I'm sure at the time I was more annoyed by people being annoying than I am now. But um, I'm certainly more, I would say in the last five years, five or six years, probably that's when I really dove headfirst into it. I, I always went to games, always followed the team, liked Cooley a lot when I first saw him as the head coach. Never thought that it would be as good as it has been, I don't think. But yeah, I really, I would say probably in the last five or six, seven years, which coincidentally, of course, is the best run in a while. So that might be a reason why. But I, I really, in college, was more involved in Louis than I was in basketball, I would say. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. E- even though Louis stands currently as a Dollar Tree, uh, RIP. RIP. Yeah, <laughs> RIP yeah. To, the, to the great Louis. Um, many a good nights were spent there and many of good drinks were had. So I don't blame you there. But when I think about two of the most interesting and innovative sites, I think about FriarBasketball.com. We had Kev on the show. And I had I had to have you on the show as well because I think a PCBB1917 is one of those sites as well. Where did you come up with the idea for it? How did things come together? You know, I, I know you're very into recruiting. Why don't you talk about some different things that you really wanted to develop with the site and the blog? My original thought was, I think it was around this time of year, January, uh, probably four years ago. I don't even know what year I started at this point, but um, I was looking to do something with Twitter originally. I wanted there to be some sort of like Twitter bot or some kind of Twitter account that would be automatically reporting on news or recruiting, something along those lines. And I, the more and more I, looked into it, the more complicated it was. And I'm not a coder by any means, although I've gotten a little better over the years with that stuff. It really sort of took off from there where I was like, I I can't, I don't think I have the chops for a Twitter bot or some sort of account that I would be able to stay on top of enough. So I think in high school, uh, when I was playing basketball and lacrosse at, uh, at Chaminade on Long Island, I had a blog where I was covering the teams I was on. I would write like recaps of the games and have stats in there. And it was fun just for my friends and, and, my, and myself to, to have something to, that, you know, it was like on the internet. It was so easy back then. I think it was like a GoDaddy website or something. I don't even know what it was called mm-hmm. anymore. Um, so I sort of had a little experience with that in terms of how to set something up. And um, so I really just kind of decided the Twitter thing wasn't going to be it. 
I maybe I'll do some writing. Um, I really like Kevin's site. I like Fryer blog a lot, which um, Dave is, he had a really good site going for a while and he works at, or used to work at ESPN. I'm not sure what he's doing now, mm-hmm. um, but they, uh, so I was kind of inspired by those guys and they were doing a lot of cool stuff, writing like having fun, fun angles that you wouldn't maybe see in like the newspaper or anything like that. And I really felt like recruiting was sort of not being covered as well outside of the New England area. Like Kevin's great. He goes to a lot of the games up there and he knows some of the, the local programs and kids better than anybody. But I felt like at the time there was a little bit of a gap. So I sort of focused on recruiting a lot and I just sort of knew how to do to get, get, to get a blog going pretty quickly from having done it before. So that was sort of the genesis. I, I really w- wanted to do something on Twitter and didn't have the skills and went for the blog instead. You know who's somebody I remember immediately when you talked about recruiting? Obviously, I think of Kevin. Remember Adam Finkelstein? Yeah, yeah. That, 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 Still doing that, it. Yeah, yeah. That, I think he does a lot more with high school. But I, I remember just there was always something with Adam Finkelstein in, in terms of PC recruiting and New England recruiting. So shout out to him. Yeah, New England Recruiting Report. Still going. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it kind of gets put to the back, but it's certainly a very a very solid publication. So shout out to him. Let's continue on the topic of recruiting. You talked about the Kino days briefly, that they, they just simply weren't that good overall. Obviously, we had some bright spots, but it, it wasn't where we wanted to be, and that's why he's currently with the Central Michigan Chippewas. In terms of where we were recruiting when you first got to PC through the Kino era to now, could you kind of give us some context and things that you've seen, some trends, and like, how do you feel we've done in recruiting in recent years? It's kind of hard because I think that on the whole, if you look at it from with that bigger lens going back to like 10 years ago or more when, when Kino was there, it's significantly better just even being in the schools that, that PC's in the mix with is noticeably different than it used to be. I mean, there's no more like you're not recruiting against Loyola, Maryland and Towson and Fordham. You're recruiting against NC State and Miami and Villanova and Kentucky at times. And so, so the level of player that they're targeting and routinely getting, I would say more so is significantly better. And a lot of that is probably why there's been a lot more success because you have to have talent in order to, uh, to advance and, and win games in the big East. And, um, and, but I think overall it's been good, but lately it's been a little bit um, confusing and something that I, I don't really understand and I'm sure if you got Ed Cooley at Tequila in a private moment, he might talk about this, but I don't think he'd ever win in public. I just don't understand what their what they their strategy is at times is very confusing. The I get wanting to target highly, highly ranked kids, but like there's a kid in twenty twenty two right now that they're involved in, they're in the top six four and they're <laughs> going against like Florida. NC State, Miami, like they're not going to win those. They're just not, almost never. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll be in that one until the bitter end, I guarantee it. Jeff Battle is is relentless and to his credit, lands a lot of kids. But there, there's, to me, there's got to be a point where they say, we need to like refocus here. And that might be hard to do because you put in all that work for like literally years to cut bait on a kid. But it seems to me that, that that's been an issue where they, and part of it too is, you know, they have, they have a lot of highly ranked kids now who are still there as sophomores and juniors for the most part, that it's hard to recruit and get kids to come in when there's not a more clear playing time available. 
but that's sort of an excuse sometimes. And I just think that it lately it's been a struggle and they're, they're in desperate need of 2022 being a really good class, especially if some of the guys don't come back for their extra year or if Duke leaves mm-hmm. early or something like that. But in terms of relating it to Keno, I mean, it's kind of night and day. Keno was recruiting kids that probably should have been at like one, maybe two levels lower at times. And mm-hmm. part of that is that he just was, is not a good charismatic recruiter. He didn't know the Northeast. He wasn't, despite his father being at Boston College, he just doesn't have the personality for this, you know, this part of the country in any way. So he couldn't recruit locally. So he'd have to get kids that didn't even weren't wanted by mid-level A-10 schools in their region. And that's how you end up with some of the kids that they ended up with. Absolutely. And what do we think about the state of the current Big East here? Like when you were off to PC, the teams we were talking about were Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Louisville, West Virginia, even Pitt before they took the absolute bottom fall of being in the ACC, which I don't think has worked out too well for them. And now we're on to the Xaviers, the Marquettes. We still got Villanova. We still got Georgetown. We still got St. John's. But then we have the Butlers. We have the DePauls. And we have UConn again. What do you think about the current state of this Big East Conference and where it is nationally? Yeah, that last team is it changes changes the equation a lot for Providence, uh, UConn, because if you would have asked me last year, well, obviously we knew they were coming, but if you would have asked me before we knew UConn was coming back to the league, what team besides maybe Villanova, because it's kind of hard to say that Villanova is not the one that benefited most with their national championships, but outside of Villanova, which of the original Catholic seven that split off benefited most from that change? It was Providence after Villanova, not even question. The level that Ed Cooley was able to recruit in terms of being the only program in New England, really, to be a competitive man in a major league like that, like Boston College is a joke in the ACC. And UConn was in the AC. The AC was pretty terrible. Um, so it's just like it was going really well for Providence. <laughs> and I think UConn coming back in is going to put a wrench into that. But I think in terms of nationally as the league, they're going to always be a top three league, I think. Um, because they're showing that they're they're willing to put in the resources. They just re-up Ackerman again for another extension. She has been phenomenal as the commissioner. Stu Jackson gives good gravitas and he gets things done. He knows people. I mean, they're, they're, the fact that they have the Fox money behind them was the key in the beginning and will be a key going forward, I think. But I do think that they're in a position now where they're, they're legitimately going to be bid on unless Fox comes in with an offer real early and says, we want to lock you up before you get to the market. But there, there legitimately could be, you know, real bidding between ESPN and Fox um, for the rights, which, you know, that's the m- money is the king. And, and the fact that Providence has been able to pour a lot more money from the TV deal into their athletic department, which has turned into on-court success, the success of having the new Ruane Fryer Development Center being built through you know, increased donations because of the increased on-court success and the charismatic ability of Ed Cooley to draw people in and raise money, Stephen Apple and his team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the state of the league is really strong, and it's probably never been as strong in probably this since maybe 2010. What was the year they got a ton of teams in the tournament where they had, like, a crazy number? But even then, I mean, those it's just so nice to be in a basketball league. and. This round robin schedule was great. 
and I, I hope they don't go away from it, even if they add a, another team. But yeah, I mean, the league is real strong. Providence's place in it was really, really good. It's still good, but I am a little concerned about what UConn is going to do to the recruiting. Um, Dan Hurley can recruit, and he can recruit to a school like UConn, and that is going to siphon players more from Providence than any other school in the league right now. So a little bit of a concern, but I mean, if they keep winning, you know, recruits will still come. Unfortunately, during my childhood, which I'm sure you can attest to, we were kind of grouped with Rutgers, Seton Hall, South Florida, DePaul when they came in from Conference USA. And and I really didn't like when we were grouped with those sort of teams. I thought our brand and our history was a step above those types of institutions. And I do agree that we've benefited the most in the new Big East. We've consistently been three, four, or five in many of the years in, in, in Big East and um, regular season conference play. And now what we've dealt with is a lot of consistent, what I would call above average marginal success, where we make the tournament and we have a Drew Edwards pass that gets us to the second round. And then there are times where we run into North Carolina multiple years, or we run into the long arms of Rob Williams, AKA the time Lord. What do you think about our success in the tournament so far and kind of how things have went being three, four, or five in the Big East each year. Yeah, I mean, it's disappointing, I think, on the whole, when you look at it just in in the last several years, the fact that they didn't. I mean, it's it's so easy to say, well, you know, they got a bad draw in this or that. They got North Carolina, you know, near their home. We, they got Dayton in Ohio, which I was, I was at both. But, I mean, just those are easy excuses. The fact is they played terrible against Dayton they were not prepared um for it didn't look like anything I mean Hendon had one of the worst games of his career unfortunately Chris Dunn got in foul trouble they just didn't rebound at all despite being the better team and having a great year and a great run in the Big East tournament that year and and uh, that was just really disappointing that was their best chance being a 60 they haven't really had that because they keep ending up in this 8-9 game because they have these periods during the, the regular season, whether it be during the non-conference a period during the Big East play or both, where they sort of fall asleep and, and lose some games they shouldn't lose, where they end up being, you know, bubblish or near the bubble or one of the last 10 or 15 teams into the tournament. Whereas, you know, so you're, you're always going to get a tougher matchup when you, when you do that. So it's, and on the one hand, it's hard to say that it's been disappointing to get to the tournament this often because it just it never happened. When you look at the last 30 years of Providence College, this is really good. Success is really good. And to get to that, you know, round of 32 one time, you know, that's nice. But then you, you kind of think about the, the history of the school and why Providence is a basketball school with this great history is because of the runs in 97 and 94 and 87 and the NITs in the 60s and 70s. I mean, they that's the kind of expectation you can't just i mean it's been it's been very good to get there it's been very good to be top half of the big east pretty much every year and have success win the big east tournament that's all i mean obviously that's all great but at some point they have to turn the corner and i think everybody thought last year was probably the year and i think it unfortunately probably we're obviously never going to know but i think they had a really great chance with how hot they were and how they were old and they had a lot of experienced guys. I think that was their real chance to break through to like a sweet 16 or better. And, you know, we may never, we may never be able to replicate that level of being perfectly hot right at the right time. But 
that was unfortunate. So on the whole, I think it's really, I think what you said about that making the sort of the marginal marginal gains is good. And it's hard for people to, to sort of see that and be happy about it, which they should be because the alternative is more of Kino, but, or more of Welsh where you get, you know, you get there every several years and do nothing, which at least they're getting there on a much more consistent basis and doing nothing. So I guess that's, I guess that's the marginal gain, but I think that the expectations are pretty quickly becoming, okay, you made it now what? And if they don't at some point in the next few years, break the, the barrier and get to a sweet 16, I think there's going to be some, some people that are going to yell louder than they're yelling now. For now, it's easy to drown those people out, but it's going to get harder and harder as time goes on. Well, yeah, when I think of the tournament, I think of Chris's early fouls against Dayton or another memory that I, that I always will think of is how hard Bryce went in that North Carolina game, like carrying the team. And then when Ed and Roy Williams shook hands at the end of the game, Roy was like, you got us today. Like this should have been your game. And it's like, it's true. It it truly should have been our game. Like we had such a stable lineup and Bryce was that star player. We needed to make that next jump in the tournament. I mean, it just, it just didn't happen. Now speaking, now, now, now speaking of somebody like Bryce or Chris, who is personally your favorite friar of all time? What are some of your favorite things you've covered? And is there like a, a specific game at the dunk that sticks out to you that was like, wow, that place was rocking? That's tough. Favorite friar player, probably Bryce Patton, I would say, just because he was so, he was like the consummate professional, which is weird. He wasn't a professional at the time, but he just, one of those guys just worked really hard and reworked his shot and, you know, did everything he had to do to get to the level where he is. And I think it's a crime he's on the NBA, but he's doing pretty well in Australia. So uh, making a good, a good living for himself. But um, Bryce, I think Bryce Cotton is probably the, my favorite uh, Providence player to have watched over the last, you know, basically since I was a fan of the team the last 15 plus years. Um, in terms of moments, I mean, there's a lot of fun. In the beginning, it was just cool to be there. You know, uh, you, you get the, the media seat on the you know baseline at the dunk and you're sitting there and it's you know it's never my seat because I don't have a seat but I would sit in somebody else's seat uh who wasn't there which uh happens routinely but yeah just being there was cool in the beginning having the uh access to the press conferences being able to ask a question of of the coach is cool of the other coach is cool and then after a while it's kind of like you know the coffee's and you know at the, at the dunk is bad the food is bad the media room you sort of get to that point where it's like kind of crazy how it goes quickly from this is just cool to be here to like you know it, it's not my job so for me it's like that part of it kind of wears off a little bit but it's still cool to go to the games the energy at the dunk is awesome i think the there was that game against xavier a few years ago when they were like a top 10 team i can't remember all the details what but it was something where like the energy was insane in the building. Um, so loud. You could really, it was vibrating everywhere. Um, so that's, that's probably one of the cooler dunk moments. These are some of the senior days is cool too. Cause you get to see the families come out and um, you just see how much, how much it meant to them to be there and, and have their families come and, and see them play. Maybe not all the guys got their family there on a regular basis and so maybe that was one of a handful of games I got to see of them playing college and so that, that's always cool to see a guy who you know like a Henson who is an all-time player to see his family come out and those kind of games are cool too um, but I think my favorite games are, are the Big East tournament games that's just it's just something different being at the garden and 
even though my seat there for the for the games is always you know it's not the best up in the corner but um it's it's just really cool to be there and to to be able to you get you get more access to more of the coaches that you maybe don't always get at the dunk because I especially now I don't get to as many games at the dunk as I used to I used to probably go to you know between 15 and 20 games at the dunk every year driving up and back from Long Island you know, it's a little harder now with a with a baby um, and I have a different job now than I did uh, during the beginning of my time running site but yeah I mean the the, the garden is definitely the the coolest place to watch a game i think and i've been to several other arenas like nca tournament games in columbus and in charlotte and but I, there's just something about the garden that's, that's really cool absolutely it is uh it is the mecca for a reason when we think about the true potential of, of pc basketball i think of a lot of different barriers that are in place in today's game the first is the transfer market kids are transferring all the time it's almost inevitable you're going to have a couple transfers each year. Another thing is the NBA with their recent G League decision. How many top recruits are going to be out there on the market as this continues to grow? Not saying that I don't think it's a great thing. I just think it could be detrimental eventually to some top tier Division One talent as well as some schools. What do you think is truly going to be holding PC back from reaching its true potential? And do you think we can get there under Ed Cooley? I think it's never been easier which is not really the right word because it's not easy, but it's never been easier at Providence to recruit and get talented players. Who knows what happens in the future, um, whether Father Sicard or his successor will be as open and willing to help athletics as Father Shanley was, uh, which it's still so weird that he's about to be the president of St. John's. Like, I know. Um, I know. I don't even understand. I'm still not, I don't understand how that's possible, but but it's never been easier to recruit at Providence, I think, with the facilities there and the dunk getting upgrades in terms of your actual arena you play in. And they're, I think, allowing coaches to be a little more flexible with bringing in transfers more than they used to be. So from that point of view, I think it's definitely possible. It's just, it's hard because what is Providence? When you think about Providence, what is their actual potential? Given the fact that Villanova has had such great success and won national championships, they're the model for Providence. In terms of, I mean, they're bigger than Providence, but not by a lot more. You know, it's it's similar in size relatively. Mm-hmm. Similar academics, similar, you know, thoughts of their uh, administration in terms of um, recruiting and the standard of admissions and that kind of thing. So the potential, I guess, is a national championship. So that's and that's something that Ed Cooley said the very first time. Uh, I heard him speak, which they used to do these events uh, in the, they'd come down to a few cities. I think maybe Hartford and, and uh, in New York city. I don't, I don't know. Maybe they did one in Providence too for the Mount Brown club, but, and they do a fall sports alumni fundraiser. It was like 20 bucks is a great deal. You go to PJ Clark's in the city, yeah, um, which is the same event they have before the big East tournament, but it's 500 bucks. And uh, I always find that the nice one thing about the October one, which they haven't done in years now, was that the coaches were not about to coach a game the next day. So they're a little more loose and, and willing to kind of mix it up and have a drink. And, and the very first time Ed Cooley went to one of those, in addition to having to apologize to Father Shanley for his language a few times, he said he will win the national championship. And that was his goal from the very beginning. And so I think the potential is that. And I think that's not out of the realm of possibilities, as crazy as that might sound for a school like Providence. But when you see Villanova do it and you compete with Villanova every year and play tight, tight games and beat them in the league, I mean, I don't think that that's crazy that you could win a national championship at Providence. 
whether they're how close they are to that. I don't know. I don't know if that's realistically in the in the near future. And I don't know that Cooley wants to coach long enough for you know, the amount of time it might take for that actually to build up like what Jay Wright did. Jay Wright's been at Villanova for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it took him a while to figure out his what he wanted to do and, and build sort of his program now where he wants it and, and get the guys to have a certain culture. And the culture of Providence has, has never been better, I don't think. You know, I can't think of a time in recent memory where the culture was better. The guys all seem to get along with each other more than than you might expect for you know guys competing for minutes and high level basketball so i think the potential is there i don't know that they're going to get there with ed cooley just because i don't know that he's going to coach long enough for for that to, to come to fruition but again like a year like last year is one of those things it could have been the year the three year they get to the final four you get a great matchup you're hot you never know i mean so i, I think that it's possible and i think that national championship is the expectation even though year to year that might sound crazy i think that's a realistic expectation well i mean i was at the providence villanova game at villanova when luan pipkins put connor gillespie on some skates here and you know i'm getting i'm getting some lash from from the philly fans behind me and i i didn't think we could do something like that i didn't think we could win at villanova in that type of fashion i mean the guys were so excited I got a cheesesteak after it worked out for me as well. And I agree. We were hot. It was just so exciting. We were old. You know, Khalif was such a big part of the success last year. Uh, and it's really unfortunate. But as as has this season been, it's been a little bit unfortunate in terms of the different obstacles we've had to face, unfortunately, with everything going on in the world. So you mentioned Ed's tenure and the longevity it would take to win some sort of national championship or high-level tournament win or win streak. What do you think Ed Cooley's legacy would be if he walked away from the Friars today? I mean, he's so well liked and loved in Rhode Island. Um, I mean, he could easily run for office if he wanted to. I can't imagine he does. <laughs> but I think his legacy is that he sort of turned the program around and he got a little bit lucky. I don't want to say that he's lucky overall, but he got a little bit lucky that the league became what it was a few years into his tenure because they were getting their heads beaten in, in the old league when he first got here. So, but he was in the right place at the right time. That's not his fault. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, his legacy is going to be the NSA tournament streak, the longest in school history. His legacy is going to be Chris Dunn. I mean, he, he is going to go down as probably one of the top three, mm-hmm. top two coaches of all time if he walked away like right now. So I think his legacy is strong unless something crazy happens the next few years. And even then, I think as time goes on, somebody like Cooley being a local guy and, and having all the, the charisma that he does and the ability to, to talk the way he does, he's, he's, a, you know, he's very inspiring when, when you catch him in the right moment. And so his legacy, he's made it already. I think he's good and he can only add to it at this point, barring something crazy. So, yeah, I mean, if he, if he walked away tomorrow, I think he's, everyone loves him still. And, and, and I don't think he'd have to worry about getting any sort of uh, negative blowback. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, and I've said on another show, he's Rhode Island famous. And when you're from a state of less than a million people and you go out to eat, you're going to run into people you know. So he's he's always going to have that sort of Rhode Island famous aura about him. And you know, I hope he's with the program for as long as he'd like to be. And there have been times during our fandom that we've seen coaches take our 
job as a stepping stone job and move to other universities. But it's been great to see him want to stick it out here. And, you know, I definitely want to see him retire a, fr- a friar. Yep. So transitioning back to you, Mike, why don't we talk about the future of the blog and some different things that you're working on? And if you have any crazy PC fan stories for us. I don't really have any crazy PC fan stories. You know, nobody's like done anything weird uh, <laughs> to me or, or at me, I don't think. But there's a guy who sits courtside at all the games. He's got a mustache. You may know him. <laughs> I think I know uh, Dom. Yeah, Dom's a great guy. So just kind of getting to know Dom a little bit over the years. He's just a character. Um, that would probably be the funniest thing. He's just so he, – he's he knows all the refs by first you know first name basis. They know him. <laughs> he uh, he gets his opinion across, and they have a good time while they're doing it. Um, so Dom, Dom is like a classic Rhode Island staple at the dunk, and, and he's 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 a good guy. Um, in terms of the blog, I mean, it's been hard to. I think you know Kevin has gone through this as he's become a, a father over the years, and or recently was was pretty open about how it can be difficult and what he's doing with his site. And, and I, I sort of am in the same similar position and just haven't really talked about it. It's just hard to find the time. Uh, work is crazy, which, you know, I'm grateful that it is. And um, the alternative is worse. But, you know, that's my that's my job. That's how I make my money. That's how I pay for, you know, my house and my life. And so that has to come first. It was a lot easier when I was single and not a parent to do this and to, you know, use my free time to do this. Uh, it's harder and harder to do that now. That being said, I mean, I, I like to keep the blog going. Um, I'm figuring out ways to work smarter in terms of, um, I've been doing this sort of over the last few years anyway, but I'm not going to kind of formalize it in terms of making some more posts out of like templates where, like, I don't like, we were talking before we, we came on, I, I just don't like writing gamers right after the game. I don't like reading them from other people. I mean, I think if you watch the game, you watch the game. If you didn't, what is that going to really tell you? Uh, you know, I, it, it doesn't tell the story. You can watch highlights on Twitter in five seconds. I mean, during the game, if you want. It's So there, to me, there's not as much value in it, you know, you know, getting something up right after the game. So I think what I'm going to probably at some point do, and it may not happen during this current season, is kind of refocus my energy on recruiting because that was sort of my roots anyway. And that's what I can sort of do more casually on Twitter. And I have been lucky enough over the, over the years to sort of develop some relationships with people that are much more in the know than me. So I can text them if I have a question or if they've heard anything or, you know, there's, so there's more of an ability to do that with that, with less effort than there used to be. It used to be, I had to be on top of following the kid, looking at, Maybe his parent was on Twitter or a coach of his that might be willing to talk to me, or it was a lot more legwork trying to track down information um, than it is now. It's still not easy, but at least I have some avenues that make it easier for me to do. So I think the, the future of the blog is probably refocusing on recruiting and becoming more um, like more of a columnist, for lack of a better term. Not that I'm uh, some fancy writer, but that's. Instead of just being like a reporter on the game, which you may or may not have watched. And again, the other thing too about a blog is when they lose, nobody reads. Nobody wants to go. The same thing with the message board. You think about it when they lose, you don't want to go, you know, beat yourself over the head with reading about all the things that people are complaining about. And you don't care about somebody's opinion. You know, if they lost, you don't really want to read it. So I always found that like the stats of the site were way down after a loss. So 
game by game coverage is probably going to be different and I'll probably be more on Twitter with that. Um, I have the Slack channel through the Patreon, which has been really cool. There's about almost 50 guys in there and it's, it gets lively at times. Um, <laughs> it is sort of like a, a newer age message board, but it's so much more immediate. I mean, you get alerts on your phone as if it's like a text. Um, and there's, there's some guys in there that are lunatics that people would know from the message boards. And, and, uh, we, we actually have a lot of fun and, Ironically, one of the, the cha- there's different channels on there. One of the channels that gets a lot of, especially during the pandemic and the off season, is the off-topic channel. We talk a lot about uh, the guys are all into like smoking and cooking meat and all this. There's some guys in there that really can cook, and uh, so that's been kind of cool. Um, so that's sort of it's more fun and it's easier to do. It's right on my phone. I can just communicate with people like that. Um, so it'll probably be a combination of being on Twitter more during games versus. Um, writing about games individually and then maybe like a weekly or twice a week kind of thing where it's you know, sort of like the state of the the program or what you know reacting to some recent something that's going on with the games and just a lot more recruiting um i i sort of built a whole database of recruiting that i could more easily manage it's essentially through google sheets and and embedding the the sheets so i can access on my phone anytime and I built a lot of a rod around that and a lot of um, complicated and crazy formulas and all this other stuff. So that's probably what I'm going to focus on. It's sort of just getting that cleaned up and back into shape because I really haven't been keeping up in terms of the, like I know the names of the kids that they're recruiting in 22 and 23, but I, I just haven't put them in there or tracked them as much as I used to. So I think the future of the blog is going to be recruiting and, and probably more, you know, I've toyed around with, with maybe doing, Keeping the Slack for the Patreon and then having like a Discord or something for for the general public to be a little bit more um, involved in and make it more of a community, which has been nice about the Slack is that it's the guys, you know, as much as some guys will go at each other during a game if they're annoyed about something and and they'll have a disagreement after the game, everybody kind of says, you know, my bad, my bad. And, and uh, we're all sort of on the same side at the end of it, which is nice. And the, the guys root for each other. When somebody has a kid, they'll tell us and we'll all say congrats. I mean, it's, it's a nice community that we built over there. Um, so that's sort of probably where I'll focus more of my attention. And then the actual blog itself will probably just be more recruiting based with the occasional opinion column type of thing. Yeah. I mean, e- even though I didn't dabble into my own blog or, or I don't really cover the team too much, the goal of my show is to, host people, have them tell their stories and be a little bit more directly authentic to what people are doing. I give you and Kevin a lot of credit in terms of paving the way for somebody like me who wanted to create a channel that you guys proved that I could do it, that I could have followers and that I could have all these people join me in this journey of just providing different sort of content around Friar Basketball. So I give you guys a lot of credit and I'm excited about the future of what you're doing. So back to the team real quick. What do you think this Providence team has to really do to turn things around this year? I mean, we're almost at about 500 on the season. We're on the outside looking in of the tournament. And, you know, the future is uncertain about what these games are going to look like. What do you think the team has to do to really turn it around? I mean, it's sort of just mind-boggling. I don't really, it's hard to get a grasp for what really is the issue. That's, that's assuming if there is one issue, which there probably isn't, but the lack of consistency is is kind of 
the the biggest issue. I mean, Duke was having a great year, and then he's been pretty bad. And is that is he is he hurt? Maybe I don't know, or or he's just you know he's just in a funk right now, or his confidence is down. And but the thing that has sort of continued to boggle my mind the most with Ed Cooley in general over the last several years, and specifically again this year, is the lineups and the rotations. Like I just don't get what he's going for. It's almost like he just is throwing guys out there and hoping that somebody's going to be on that night. And I, I like they they got into a good groove last year when they were hot with. The rotation was much tighter and guys had defined roles and they were able to just be very good at those roles. And if somebody was off, somebody else picked them up. Like if Alpha wasn't playing well, that would be the game that Pipkins was hot. And and they just haven't had that. If Duke is not playing well, they're not getting really any help besides Watson. And Watson being limited to a post player, even though he can hit some jumpers, he can't really create his own offense as much. So if he's the main guy that you're relying on, it's just hard to score. And then the other thing they could always count on, especially last year at the end of the year, was their defense. And the defense has been inconsistent. And part of that is that they've got younger guys. Defense is always the last thing to come to younger guys, especially like freshmen and sophomores who just don't understand team defense at the college level and the, and the amount of communication that that requires. But I mean, they just—they're just not as good a defensive team right now, and I don't know that they will be this year. You know, they have some guys who are very good at on-ball defense, like Duke, and I think Gant has the potential to be a very good on-ball defender. Um, Nate Watson just not as good of a, a defender. He's not a shot blocker. Um, he doesn't rebound it particularly well, and part of that's because he's consistently out of position off the ball. He's not good in the pick and roll. Um, he's getting better, but he's just not that. Like, Khalif Young was a master at it. And so when you're going from that to, to this, it's it's hard. And Ed Croswell is, is certainly not Khalif Young. So um, despite the fact that he can rebound the ball, especially on the offensive end, but he doesn't do much else right now. But, it, you know, not fair to him. This was the year he was going to sit out anyway. So mm-hmm. I just think that they're, they're, they're just, there's no consistency. And it starts with the, the rotation, the lineups. And getting Bynum back, obviously, is a big, a big uh, thing that I think will go a long way. Duke was playing really well when he had somebody to handle the ball. Um, and Breed has done well lately, but, you know, he's a freshman, so it's hard to count on him down the stretch and the rest of the way. Um, so I think getting Bynum back will be a big step in the right direction and making sure that he doesn't come back too soon and re-injure himself. So I think that's what they've been doing is making sure that he's not going to get hurt again. But it's just confusing at times where, I mean, some of these guys, it's so clear that they missed that summer of not being on campus. I mean, Greg Gant really unfortunately had a you know tragedy last year with his mother passing away during the season. He's a freshman away from home. That's got to be hard. So he really probably would have benefited from that time with the guys for three months on campus ahead of the season. And then, you know, they're integrating some new pieces, even though Bynum was with the program last year. It's not the same when you're not playing games and, uh, you know, Bryson Gadeen, I, I, I don't understand what – it's confusing that he's not playing as much, but I guess they aren't seeing anything in practice. So, I mean, there's just it's just kind of unanswered questions. And part of it is just, you know, every team is dealing with COVID in, in various ways and the fact how it impacted the preseason and during the season. And Providence has been very lucky to not have a pause at all during the season so far, but the students just got back on campus, so we'll see. Um, but – I think the the lack of consistency on the whole is just the biggest problem. 
And once Ed finds six or seven guys that he can roll with and those guys know they're going to roll and they know where they're going to roll and how they're going to roll and what they're going to do night in and night out, I think that's when you'll see things turn around. But if they don't do that, you're probably going to get games where they play really well for a couple of games and really bad. So I think that's probably will be the key to the season is figuring out over the next you know six weeks or whatever is going to be left with who knows how many games they'll get in. They just moved the Georgetown game, I think, um, again. So uh, it's hard to say what, you know, what they'll be in terms of games played. But if they don't figure out the rotation, I think that's where it all kind of starts. Well, when I think about this season, unfortunately, we think about when we started Big East played the Butler game where, you know, we just kind of fell asleep at the wheel there. The the Alabama loss actually isn't looking too bad these days. So so that that's a little bit of a bright spot. But obviously we had the heartbreakers against Creighton and Xavier that just sort of turned the season all around. So really curious to see where this season goes. and. Let's end off on next year. Where do you think this team is going to be next year, 2021, 2022 Friars? I know you're an expert on recruiting. If you want to talk about some different recruits that are in play, some guys that we already have in the fold, what could potentially next year look like for the Providence Friars? Well, it's tough because it all sort of depends on what David Duke decides to do. And he may decide that, at some point, it's, you know, even if he's getting a, a low first round grade, that that's worth leaving. Uh, it'd be hard to, if he gets drafted in the first round, it'd be hard to, to complain about that. I mean, that's, you know, guaranteed money for somebody that, you know, could be life changing. So that's sort of the biggest question mark if he comes back or not. There's various opinions on, on all kinds of different sites that do uh, mock drafts about where he stands right now. But I think if, if he doesn't come back, you're looking at a very different team uh, and probably Ed Cooley's looking at a very different strategy for the spring in terms of he's probably going to be looking for a grad transfer to fill that gap. Somebody who can come in and play right away. Um, so, and those things obviously are both ifs, but in terms of the other guys and the recruits coming in, I mean, there's some nice players that are going to be back most likely unless somebody decides to transfer or, or there's, um, you know, some sort of uh, weird injury or, or somebody leaves for, the G League, like you mentioned before, or something odd. Um, but, you know, I think Nate Watson's probably not coming back for his extra year. I don't know why he would. He, he's going to go make a, a good amount of money playing basketball. Might as well get started sooner rather than later for him. So I, I'd be surprised if he comes back. But, I mean, there's some good players that should be back. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the spring. So assuming Duke comes back, I think I still think they're going to probably add somebody in the spring for 2021, whether it's a uh, a senior in high school now or a transfer. Cooley has really liked going the avenue of having at least one sit out guy. So um, you know, you think of like Junior Lamamba and Isaiah Jackson, guys like that who are, and even Bynum last year, guys like a freshman or sophomore transferring who's going to have you know two or three years left that can sit out, and because then you don't have 13 scholarship players eligible to find minutes for eight guys in the list 13 so um i think that's a smart strategy so i think it'll be interesting i think we'll know <clears throat> once we get the answer on duke we'll know a lot more obviously but i think even with that being a question mark it'll be interesting to see as the next month or so goes by when the so it's also weird because there's no high, a lot of high school seasons are not happening legend geeter's not playing because michigan's not playing high school basketball and so there's and recruiting is weird you know, they're not going, they're not traveling as much. So it's also harder to track them. 
sometimes you find out more, you know, that this coach was at this school and you can find out who they're recruiting. That's not really happening now with Zoom. So I think it'll be interesting to see what the what you see on Twitter and elsewhere in like March and April. And that'll be a good indicator for what they think Duke is probably going to do. Like if they start recruiting more guards in 2021, which is possible, there's a, a the person I mentioned earlier is named Jaden Epps. He's in class of 2022, but um, I heard the other day he's looking for maybe coming into 2021. But again, that's probably not going to end up. He, the other schools involved are schools like you know Florida and NC State, so I, I'm not optimistic on that front. But the, there'll be guys you'll see pop up, names will pop, that'll pop up. And if they're in 2021, I think that'll be telling that either Ed thinks he needs more in 2021 or that Duke is going or both. But I would suspect there'll be at least one transfer on, you know, coming coming to Providence in the spring, whether it's a grad or a sit-out. And who knows if sit-out will even still be a thing uh, going forward. So um, I think transfer is the future. And that's why philosophically when I was talking earlier about what I think it's interesting that they haven't cut ties with guys they clearly have no chance of. Like I hear a month before the kid announces he's going to go to some other school, and yet you, you know Providence is still recruiting him. It's like what are they what are they doing? And I think part of it is that they're looking for maybe the 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 boomerang effect. They're looking for the transfer market on the way back. So I think transfer is where they're going to be active, more active than they usually are, and. We'll see if it's a grad transfer or or sit out type kid, uh, depending on what Duke does. I'm I'm with you, and you want to talk about an- another transfer as well. Like, what could have Emmett Holt been if he if he unfortunately didn't get sick? Like, you know, coming over from Indiana, high level player, you know, did well in junior college as well when when he was on the way back in, and and really like stepped in for Ben Bentel when he when he suited up for the Friars. So we've definitely had a good amount of transfers come in and make an impact. And Carson DeRozier's when it won us a big East title, shout out to him um, as, as, as well. So Mike, you've been, you've been awesome to have here on the show. Loved all of your insight and we're going to follow you on the future of the blog. Do you have some final thoughts for some Friar fans? No, I mean, everybody stay safe out there. Hopefully the vaccines are coming and uh, we can get back to the dump soon and, and watch a, a Friar game. Probably not this year, but hopefully in, in the fall next year. Absolutely. And like I said, we're excited to see what you do. We appreciate all you've done so far. Like I said, paving the way for guys like me, creating a platform like this. And, you know, we're looking forward to see, to seeing what you're able to come up with in the future and seeing what the rest of the season has for these Friars. I appreciate having me on. Uh, the, the show has been great. And I, I was, like I said before, always cool to hear different guys that you don't normally hear on, on podcasts and elsewhere. And, and Friar fans have a, a large appetite for content. So the more the merrier. And I think your show has been great. Hey, we appreciate it. We'll take all the support we can get. We're excited to see who we're going to have on next, but you know, we're excited to drop this episode and you know, have our have our fan base learn a little bit more about what you've been doing. So, thank you, Mike, and we'll keep in touch. And as always, go Friars. We'd like to thank everyone for listening to episode nine of the Friar Podcast, and of course, a special thank you to our guests creator and founder of PCBB 1917, Mike Hopkins. We are back again next week, and as always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Friar Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, as well as SoundCloud, if you enjoy our content. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.